0: Dr. Stephen Katz is an American philosopher and scholar. He is the founding director of the LAV cell center for Judaic studies at Boston university. He is an author. Welcome Dr. Katz. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here with you. Yeah, excited to, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you well, do I what you in do. A
1: very traditional home in New Jersey. I went to rabbinical schools, till I was college age. And then I went to Rutgers and uh, NYU. And then I was able to get a fellowship to go to Cambridge. I got my PhD at Cambridge, finished in 72. Met my wife there, she chased me, she caught me and uh, we're together 54 years. And uh, I came back in 72 to teach at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, which was a wonderful experience. And then I moved in 1984 to Cornell and from Cornell, I moved in 1996 to Boston University, because the university had a very good friend of mine teaching here named Ellie Wiesel. and Ellie was being honored by the university with a center in his name, and he asked if I would come down and chair the center and establish the parameters of the center. I couldn't say no to Ellie, so I came to Boston in '96, and for the last 25, 27 years, I've been here very happily
0: excellent well thank you for sharing that what does it mean to be jewish if anything at all
1: well first of all it means uh, i think to be very specially uh, identified with a tradition which has had a lot of ups and downs through its historical experience but from within the community it's i think a privilege something of a uh, very special character And something that brings lots of joy and satisfaction. It supports strong family life. It teaches you how to raise your children appropriately. It tells you what things mean and what things don't mean. So it's quite a heavy burden, in a sense, to really grasp it all. But one feels a responsibility to continue the tradition.
0: When I I was raised Episcopalian and... I'm obviously just kind of aware of that Christians go all over the world, spreading the good news and trying to bring other people that are non-Christians into their religion. That's not the case with Judaism. Why is that?
1: Judaism does not believe it's necessary to be a Jew in order to be, quote, saved. Remember the uh, medieval doctrine of the church, extra ecclesia, outside the church, there is no salvation. Judaism doesn't believe that. Judaism believes that everybody who maintains a moral lifestyle, we see this in the interpretation of the book of Genesis, where after the flood of Noah, which is this week's uh, biblical reading, in fact, the uh, commentators tell us that God gave Noah seven basic laws of morality. This is a shorter list than the Ten Commandments and has... The listing without some of the commandments. But the idea is that a basic natural law was established with mankind, and everyone can keep that law. We're all rational. We're all humane. We all have the same spirit. And therefore, there's no need to convert. What you need to do is just keep the moral laws, and we'll all be okay.
0: Fair enough. We are having this conversation on friday october the 20th and obviously we're experiencing or there's conflict in the middle east what is so this is maybe a dumb question but i'll just ask it what is so important about the actual land of israel
1: well if you know the bible at all you know that god created a covenant with the jewish people and as a participant in that covenant were three partners, God, the Jewish people, and the land of Israel. And the land of Israel was a sign that God was with the people. And more importantly, it was meant to be a laboratory in which one could live out a really, quote, holy life. Holy in this sense, meaning dedicated to good things. And that when the Jewish people were in the land, they were able to accomplish various goals of education, of piety, of morality. When they lost the land, they went into exile. Of course, it was physically, mentally, psychologically debilitating, but they never gave up hope of return. And right through the Middle Ages, we have migrations. And then at the end of the 18th century, we have two important migrations by two different groups of Jews. And then, of course, we have modern Zionism, which is going back to the foundation that you have to be in the land to keep all the rules.
0: It's fascinating to me. Um, well, so I had I, asked you why Jews don't necessarily go out and recruit the way that other faiths do, and you talked about because you don't need to be a Jew to find salvation. How how do how do Jews think about interacting and and having relationships with Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists?
1: They think that it should be a perfectly natural and normal things. Neither side should bring pressure on the other, that neither side should be powerless, and that there should be an equitable relationship between the people of Israel and its neighbors and with the world in general.
0: So when you see conflict like we have going on today— What 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 are your thoughts on it?
1: My thoughts are very, very sad because all the basic rules were violated a week ago on Saturday morning, raping Jewish girls, murdering Jewish babies, taking Holocaust survivors as hostages, cutting off the heads of children. This is outside any ordinary order. And it's all based on a deep misunderstanding of what the state of Israel is and what the Zionist movement is.
0: And I think that you told me a little bit about what the whole purpose of the Zionist movement is just a minute ago. But if you would, just tell me a little bit more about that, about the misunderstanding of it.
1: Zionism is an old phenomenon. The idea that it was created in modern times and that it's, quote, colonialist is just a mistake. The fact is, it goes back to the idea we talked of earlier about the importance of the land of Israel and being in the land. For 2,000 years since the Romans destroyed the Second Temple in the year 70 and ended Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel, Jews have always felt that they were in exile. And they were in exile. There was persecution. There was special taxation. There was physical violence, as in the First Crusade, around the Black Death. All kinds of myths were propagated about Jews poisoning the wells. You see that again today with the COVID, people blaming the COVID uh, exercise on Jewish individuals. So Zionism was the idea that Jews should go back to the land of Israel for one reason, In Europe, we had centuries, millennia of anti-Semitism. Once emancipation took place in Europe, in the 18th century, French Revolution gave Jews freedom to be citizens. In 1789, the American Revolution was the first country to do that. In the revolutionary years, 1776 to 1781, Europe asked itself a question. What should it do with the Jews now? Should it just let them in? Should it make demands that the negotiation was really two-sided? You would be free from your disabilities from the outside, from the non-Jewish world. No more ghettos, no more discrimination about taxation. And on the other hand, you should free yourself from your Judaism. That was understood. Not always said, but it was understood that Judaism continued to have a curious reputation. The result was that Europe And its Jews wrestled with this question called the Jewish question. Some people said Jews should convert. Other people said Jews should assimilate. Other people said Jews should be socialists, reformed Jews, conservative Jews, orthodox Jews. All of them were based on the idea that Europe could keep the promise that it would let the Jews in. But the fact was there was a response to this conversation, an outgrowth, called modern anti-Semitism, the heart of which was racial anti-Semitism. Racial anti-Semitism said, it's not the Jewish action, it's the Jewish blood that is the cause of all of its misdemeanors. The Jews can't help being evil. They can't help being exploiters. They can't help being parasites. So the only thing we can do, and this is why Hitler called it the final solution to the Jewish question, the Enlos and the Infrag in Europa, is that you will murder the Jews, and then you'll be solving the problem. All the other things are cowardly, he said. All the other ideas of emancipation, of assimilation, of acculturation, of intermarriage, they're all not going to work because you can't change your blood. Now, this was understood, came to a head in a thing called the Dreyfus Trial in Paris in 1893, when a Jewish soldier who was completely assimilated— and on the general staff of the French army, the pride of France, was accused of betraying France in the previous war that France lost to Germany for the first time. Of course, it was all a lie. It was all staged by people in the army, the French army, who needed a scapegoat for why they had lost. They found Dreyfus guilty. A man named Herzl came from Vienna as a newspaper man to cover the trial. He saw the signs on the streets of Paris didn't say death to Dreyfus, they said death to the Jews. And he realized that Europe was unable to keep its commitment to emancipate the Jews with equality and freedom. He said the only solution can't be found in Europe. All the options I mentioned to you, assimilation, acculturation, conversion, socialism, reform Judaism, they all take place in Europe. But they'll never work, he said, in Europe. You have to go back have to create a state, and most importantly, you have to create an environment where Jews have some power to defend themselves. They have some power to legislate what's in the interest of the Jewish people. They have to regain their tradition, speak Hebrew. So this phenomenon of Zionism is a response to the 2,000 years of anti-Semitism culminating in modern anti-Semitism. I am not sure.
0: I, I, I know that that with other faiths, um, they're seeing a decline in people being a part of organized religion. What is are, 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 are there trends here in the United States well, with Judaism?
1: Very important trends. So you put your finger on the most important. The number of Jews is declining as an absolute number and also as a percentage of the population. So now we have, I don't know, 350 million people in the United States, uh, 250 million people, or is it 350? 350. 350 million people in the United States, and Jews, depending on how you count them, which is a complicated methodological question, is less than 2%. And that 2% is gonna continue to decline because the general population is growing all the time, but the Jewish people are not having sufficient replacement numbers. So we don't have large families anymore as a rule, except for the ultra Orthodox. We send our boys and we send our girls to college. Then we send them to graduate school. So they marry later, many don't marry at all. Then we have the issue, which is a good sign and a bad sign. Everything in Jewish history is always dialectical. The good sign is there's a very dramatic increase over the last 50 years of intermarriage, which means Jews are being accepted. On the other hand, intermarriage usually results in the production of families that are not Jewishly committed. So the whole phenomenon, demographic phenomenon of the Jewish people, is in serious decline, and uh, the numbers only in Israel are increasing. If you look at the European countries like France, which had the biggest population in Europe, if you look at England, when I was a student at Cambridge, there were 500,000 estimated 500 to 550,000 Jews in England now they're estimated 225 250,000 and that may be an optimistic estimate france much declined all over eastern europe of course there are no Jews left really in poland no Jews left in romania no Jews in bulgaria almost a small population compared to what it was over 3 million In Russia, before the Holocaust, now, I don't know the exact number, but certainly less than a million in Russia. Only in Israel is the birth rate high enough to see population growth.
0: What's the way forward?
1: Well, it depends on what your objective is. If your objective is to acculturate, to assimilate, and think that you'll solve the problems of the Jewish people and of anti-Semitism by the disappearance of Judaism then you would advocate for still more intermarriage, more small population growth, no children, no Jewish education, and so on. If you believe that there is something special about the Jewish people and its destiny, then you would encourage Jewish education, which is very important from early childhood. You'd encourage synagogues to be more active in the recruitment of uh, membership of people coming to services, and you'd be very, very active in the support of Israel.
0: It is a it's I, I. I see my perception from the outside looking in of of a lot of organizations within Christianity are we're going to create these more community based churches, worship houses, that people can come in, it doesn't matter what your background, and there's a lot of music, and it's, for lack of a better term, watered down.
1: Well, we have a movement in the American and worldwide Jewish community, which is called Chabad. That's an an acronym for Chachma Bin Andat, three basic ideas of mysticism. And they have made it a primal objective of theirs, to spread out in the Jewish world from one end to the other, to build schools, to build synagogues, to build kosher restaurants, all without asking who you are, without any judgment about your behavior, without any censure of whether you keep the commandments or don't keep the commandments. The door is always open. And they've been quite successful in a lot of their efforts over the last 50 years.
0: What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it's been an extremely valuable and important phenomenon in the Jewish world. The fact is that if you go to college campuses, you'll find that on many, many college campuses, there's what's called a Chabad House, run by one of their members that brings students in without judgment. doesn't ask you if you have a Jewish education or you don't have a Jewish education. It just says, come have a Sabbath meal with us Friday night. Come and have services with us on the Day of Atonement. So it draws in lots and lots of people who are, from the mainstream point of view, marginal, who have become assimilated, highly acculturated. So it's brought in a lot of people, and it's been a lifeline in a lot of places. For example, if you go to Alaska and you need a Jewish community, you'll find Chabad. If you go to Venice, Italy, and you need a Jewish community for services, for food, for whatever it might be, you'll find Chabad. We, my wife and I were in Nepal. Of all places, they run a big Passover meal in Nepal every year. Thousands of people come from all over Asia. So they've done a lot of important things.
0: Got it. When the Jewish Jews are 2% of the American population, give or take there's 16 million living Jews on planet Earth right now. And your contributions to the world, the Jewish, Jewish people have been amazing from Nobel prize winners and scientists and just in 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 every walk of life um for lack of a better term a very outsized um influence and and an impact in such a positive way and then have s- so much hatred and you explained very well a lot of the the reasons behind that
1: you, see, you have- the, the problem is george the issue is this This is an old tradition. The modern forms, including racial anti-Semitism, don't come from nothing. The Latins, the Romans used to have a saying, ex nilo nil fit, from nothing comes nothing. So the root of this is the spine of this tradition comes from the important polemic in the New Testament. Unfortunately, as a famous Christian theologian, Rosemary Rosemary Ruther said, Anti-Semitism is the left hand of Christology. That is to say, when the early church was getting started, they interpreted they were all Jews, of course—they interpreted Scripture in one way, and the mainline Jewish community interpreted Scripture in the other way. Now if Jewish interpretation of Scripture was correct, then the Christian interpretation of Scripture was absolutely false. If the Christian view was true, then Judaism was absolutely false. So built into the fundamental meeting of Jews and Jewish Christians in the first century following the crucifixion was this deep polemic most famously described by Paul, St. Paul, right? And he said, Judaism is a spiritual cadaver. There's no spiritual life. And the fact is, his famous phrase, there is no salvation in the law. They say keeping the commandments, doing the mitz, what we call mitzvot, the obligations, has no spiritual benefit. So that set in place a fundamental condition. Then you had two other very crucial issues. One was in Matthew at the crucifixion. Jews are put words are put into the mouth of the Jews. Let his blood be upon us and our children. So you have a legacy of saying that Jews are the enemies of Christ, they're deicidal people, they've committed the crucifixion, all these terrible things that continue to go on. And then you have in John chapter 8, verse 43-44, the claim that Jews are, quote, the spawn of the devil, children of the devil. So you have, in the roots of Christianity, an important principle people don't understand. It's mythalization. The Jews become mythic creatures. So you have all these medieval strange ideas about Jews. For example, that Jewish women have a special smell they can only overcome with perfume. And they'll only get rid of it permanently when they convert. That Jews poison the wells, right? The Jews take Christian children and uh, murder them for their blood so that they can make matzah at passover. And the most interesting I find when I tell my students is that Jewish men menstruate. You don't have to worry about that, George. We don't do that anymore. But the fact is that these mythic ideas are very hard to disconfirm. So you see it today and all over, right? The blood libel is circulating now with the bombing of Hamas, by Islamic Jihad of a hospital. But it's said that the Jews did it, even though... All the intelligence services of the world are clear that they didn't. Then there's the idea that the Jews poisoned the wells in Gaza, repeating the claim of the Black Death, 1348-49. Then there's the idea that Jews are spreading COVID. And then the idea that Jews are killing Christian, ba- uh, Muslim babies for heart purposes or pieces so they can put them into operations. These are all myths very powerful, still circulating, very well-known myths, and it's very hard to disconfirm them. People in Europe and America have tried for the last 250 years to do so, but there's enough of it ingrained in the very substance of Western civilization to make it an extremely difficult issue of how to respond to anti-Semitism.
0: Obviously, an absolutely horrible thing that we're living through right now. Is it surprising to you? Is it shocking? Or is it just more of the Uh, same?
1: That we're having another conflict is not at all shocking. One would expect that this is the the routine. Every few years, there's a flare-up. What is shocking is the extent of the hate that led to the kinds of behavior. It would be a mistake. It would be a, a calumny against savages to say it was savage, it would be a calumny against animals to say it was animalistic. Because the kinds of things that were done to women and children, with joy, they were so happy about it, the Palestinian terrorists even made movies, put them on the video to show you what heroes they were. So that was surprising, and it caught Israel also off guard, and that's why you're now having this very intense response.
0: I was uh, I was having a conversation with my mom just the other day about everything that's going on, and she's been a Christian for her whole life, and she said, "I don't I don't understand," or I don't remember what the context was, but if she said she said that if I were a young family and and I were Jewish, and you had all these people who just hated me so much and wanted to kill me, because of that, I would stop being Jewish. What do you think about that?
1: Well, it's an old argument, right? The people who converted for the last hundreds of years thought the same thing, that uh, one of the crucial benefits of conversion was you would separate yourself from the Jewish people, and you wouldn't be a target. But the Jewish people are not prepared to commit suicide. This, of course, would be spiritual suicide by leaving their tradition. That would be a sign that they lacked the dignity, the commitment to stay loyal to their parents and their grandparents and 3,000 years of Jewish history. So there is a very strange thing. You know, the uh, king of Prussia, Frederick the Great, was once asked, how do you know there is a God? And he said the survival of the Jewish people. Hmm. (laughs) And that idea has been repeated many times. There is something very puzzling about the Jewish people. You mentioned the contribution. How is it that a small population produces an Einstein and a Freud and all of these, Jonas Salk with the Salk uh, vaccine and all the other amazing kinds of contributions? There is something puzzling about Jewish history. It doesn't seem to conform To the generalizations that historians make about the way history works.
0: If you could, well, what do you wish that that people knew about Judaism and and Jews? What are some things?
1: I wish that they would all understand that we're not mythic creatures. We're just like everyone else. We have our good and we have our bad. We have our good guys and we have our bad guys. We have our foibles, and we have our virtues. And they should deconstruct the kind of context in which the conversation usually takes place, which is so saturated with all of this historical baggage, and just go on. The Herzl idea of Zionism was that the state of Israel would would finally make Jews normal. And that's what he said. He'll be satisfied his dream of Zion would be successful when life in Israel was normal. So it would have horse thieves, it would have prostitutes, it would have good guys and bad guys, just to be normal. And that's the prayer that we all should have, is that we treat each other as all normal people without a lot of baggage.
0: Well said. Well, Dr. Stephen Katz, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you?
1: Well, my books, I, I would suggest two things. In 21, 2021, I edited a book called The Cambridge Companion to Antisemitism, which will give people a very good overview of the whole tradition we've been talking a lot about this afternoon. Secondly, for my own work, I suggest that they look at my Holocaust work and a book I wrote years ago called The Holocaust in Historical Context. I think the date is 94 Oxford University Press. We'll give them a long, detailed, complicated discussion, which we can't do in this uh, format. And we'll teach them the kinds of things that they might start to think about with regard to going forward.
0: And where can they get those books?
1: Well, I imagine Amazon would certainly have them.
0: Probably uh, probably stands to reason right there. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Stephen your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up your copy of The Cambridge Companion to Anti-Semitism, as well as The Holocaust in Historical Context. And I will link both of those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Stephen.
1: Thank you very much for the courtesy of inviting me.
0: And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.